so I just want to draw attention to my dad's stole, which my mom beaded. Every flower and berry represents a part of our heritage and my dad's life here on the land. So I feel like it's very fitting that he's wearing it today. Uh, Psalm 58, uh, that, that reminds me, or uh, Isaiah 58. I remember back in, I'm going to say the mid-1990s, we were at a mid Midwestern district conference for the Christian Missionary Alliance. We were living in Regina, Saskatchewan. And, uh, and the day before, I had made a motion on the floor of the district conference that we affirmed that the Midwest District of the Christian Missionary Alliance affirmed that it was God's will that in Canada, Euro-Canadians and Indigenous, the First Nations, be reconciled corporately and individually. And there was quite a debate that raged in those days because that was not a popular idea in Canada. Stephen Harper had said three years prior to 2008 when the apology for the residential school was made, three years before Stephen Harper had said, I will not apologize for the residential school. And that was still running, so it was strong in, in, in Canada still and on the prairies and so there was quite debate that I was trying to manipulate things and do an end run around the the head office of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I remember that morning before continuing to, I might be mixing things up, I don't know if I was gonna make that motion, but I read Isaiah, that, 50, that Isaiah 58 passage to shout it from the rooftops to keep saying the sin of my people. And so it was significant that you, you read that, so I thank you for that. That's not part of the sermon, but I told, I told Jenny that I tend to wander around a bit in my mind, and uh, one of the good things about being a guest here is I can, I don't have to <laughs> follow the script, so. We wanted to talk about the world we live in and move in, this land. For the treaty nations of the, where I grew up, we're part of Treaty 8, which is in northern, northern Alberta. The teaching is that a person can only possess what they can carry on their back. So how could you own the land? The land owns you because the land carries you. And land, by the way, in, when you use that word in English, in Cree, it's aski. Land means the culture of the people, the language, the whole world, the cosmos. That's the word that they use when it says God so loved the world. And if you back translate it from Cree, it's God so loved the land. God so loved the land. It means the oceans. It means everything. And this land that we live in, that we call Canada now. 
is still dominated by European Christendom thought and language. It colors the gospel that we have been proclaiming, and there is a need to see our language and thought transformed. One way that this can happen is to be taught by indigenous people. And this has the potential to be transformative for a few reasons. Again, I got four points because I teach theology. and I don't know. Makes you, students can't say you didn't sort of teach them anything if you have some <laughs> points. So. Which is always a possibility because I tend to wander around a bit. Number one, an act of humility to, to listen to First Nations, to stop talking and start listening. The dominant church's main approach to spirituality has been that it talks. It talks. Those are the things we usually celebrate in churches. We celebrate singing and preaching and talking and witnessing, but we rarely celebrate listening. So to listen can help us to learn. It switches the narrative that indigenous people are a problem to be solved, to realize that indigenous people have something to offer. It's the beginning, number three, it's the beginning of a partnership or a move to embrace indigenous values and goals as your values and goals, which is what the land acknowledgement is the beginning of. Number four, it places value on relationship. Relationship, something that's been destroyed through the polarization of opinion and politics these days. A world that's in need of a healing of relationships. So in this sermon, we want to draw attention to one of the main tenets, or one of the tenets of the colonial enterprise which said that indigenous people did not have law, the colonial enterprise. And if you, and if you, if you think that the, I always think, when they put John A. McDonald's statue in a timeout in Victoria, I was thinking, they were trying to deal with colonialism, but I was thinking, yeah, but your city's named Victoria. <laughs> And I think your newspaper is called the Colonizer, <laughs> or the, anyways, just, just a thought. I say it was a timeout because when you took John A. McDonald's, they said they weren't going to get rid of it, so I thought, oh, he must be on a timeout. That's because of some of the crazy things that he do. I actually think the solution would be if you put on the statue the crazy things he did as well as the good things that he did. Maybe that would help. I heard of my, so then we're trying to talk about the fact that when, so one of the driving things for the, for the newcomers was that they said that we had no law. They said that these people were not civilized because the marks of civilization, according to Thomas Hobbes and John Locke, was the presence of law and courts and wheeled vehicles. If everyone would have owned a Chevy when the Europeans came here, we never would have had colonization. But because they said they had no law, they meant they needed to be civilized. And thus violence was acceptable to bring order to the wild land and the wild peoples. The wild peoples. I heard a friend of mine say this week that because of the findings of the unmarked graves, 
The anger has caused many to turn away from the church. Now, some might not find that so bad because it's common today that people don't like the church. They like Jesus, but they don't like the church. That's pretty common. But now it's, it's gotten worse than that because many people don't even want to talk about Jesus. They don't want to even hear that name because of what happened. How did it get to be like this? It came about and it comes about because one group of people looked down on another group of people as having nothing to offer. So when some people came to Canada, they thought Indigenous people did not have law. And they looked around and saw people living in ways that they did not understand. And to most settlers, that was known as being uncivilized. Uh, and because Western European society believed that it was, it was the kingdom of God come to earth, uh, part of being uncivilized meant being evil or of the devil. So the understanding of the time was that in order to be of God, one had to live according to the common traditions of European society. Therefore, the indigenous people must be far away from God. They must have no connection to Christ because their way of living did not match the ideal put forth by colonizing Europe. So if you think about that, even today, society tends to look at people who are struggling to overcome generational trauma and living with the implications and dysfunction of it all as a problem to be solved. They just need to be made part of society. They just need to learn how to follow the law or fit into society to get a job. Society then engages in a kind of gaslighting by saying it is actually their fault. But let's think about this in a different way. If one were to observe closer, Indigenous people very evidently did have law, and it came from creation. Creation taught us that we should always strive for the right relationship with the land, with each other, and with the creator and the spirit around us. The indigenous people, we knew Christ, but he did not have that name. And when we were taught the stories of Jesus, we recognized him as familiar. So our first point, after his four points are now our first point of the sermon. Uh, indigenous people recognize the true God through creation. But how is it possible for a vast group of people who have never heard the stories from the Bible to know Christ? Well, first, the Bible tells us that creation itself is a revelation of God. And from that alone, not one person has an excuse to live according to their own ways. So this is Romans didn't write the reference. Romans 1, verses 18 to 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people are without excuse. Indigenous people groups observed creation and how the different parts of creation interact with each other in a harmonious way. And they realized that because they too were part of creation, it should be their goal to live in a harmonious way as well. They could evidently see that wickedness, selfishness, and sin would lead to an imbalance in nature, in the community, and in their own being. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, writing in, I think it's in his book, The Land, notes that as Israel moved away from the land, idolatry became more and more of a problem. When you think of that, when you think about it, when you're the one who's responsible for your well-being, if you're the, if you're the only one responsible for your well-being and happiness, you move further and further away from a life dependent upon God, dependent upon others, and dependent on creation. And you move further away to an individualistic lifestyle with no regard for anyone, but just your own freedom. Perhaps as Israel moves away from the land, they become idolatrous because they're becoming a nation that is no longer dependent upon God, but on, on their city, upon their army, upon their technology. They have become just like the nations that they replaced. Contrast this with indigenous folk who believed you needed to respect the land and try to live in harmony with the creator and creation. The mark of this respect was thanksgiving, to give thanks. And you were always looking for wisdom to live in harmony. This is why most indigenous people responded to the gospel because they saw in the gospel truth that comes alongside their own, but even further, on the road to harmony and reconciliation. The quest for living in harmony is a quest for reconciliation, isn't it? Leslie Newbigin, longtime missionary to India, when returning to the, from the North Atlant to the North Atlantic nations, observed in the United States Constitution, in there there's a little phrase that says, the right to the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When on one level he says that's legitimate for a society to pursue happiness as a society as a whole, the West has turned this into the sole purpose of life for each autonomous individual. Because of the nature of happiness, what happens, what makes us happy today doesn't make us happy tomorrow when we become the sole person who's in charge of our own happiness and we seek it, and it becomes an infinite desire for happiness. And we quickly fall into the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Israel did this again and again. They forsake the true God, and they become focused on other things to fulfill their desire. We can learn from First Nations. I learned from First Nations that they always give thanks 
We always give thanks. Our second point is that indigenous people recognize Christ as creator. So John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning again, takes us back to Genesis 1. So in the beginning when God created the heaven and earth. John's gospel, like Mark's gospel, uses the word beginning because they are wanting to show that something new is happening with the advent of Jesus Christ taking a body. Theologically, we understand that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the most complete revealing of God in all of creation. Our first passage in Romans shows that people have understood the invisible attributes of God were made plain through which was made by God. It happened before in creation itself. And this creation flows out of the word of God, the agent of creation. John writes this, The word was with God, and the word was God, and all things have come into being through him, the word. Theology also tells us that creation itself reveals what God is like. So our passage in Romans told us this, and now in verse 12 of John 1, it is written that the word was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Again, this repeats the idea in Romans that the invisible attributes of God were made plain by that which was made. So indigenous people in Canada understood that there were things greater than themselves and sought to live out harmony and were always looking for something to understand and live out the good relations, to give thanks because we see that we survive because the creator has given us creation or mother earth that sustains us indigenous law taught us to live in harmony and when things go wrong we have to seek a path back to honor back to harmony back to reconciliation but we must learn it from observing creation so here's the cool thing in john 114, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took a body, and this, I like to refer to, well, I think the Catholics beat me to it, but the Catholics wrote all the cool theology. But Jesus took a body. This is the second act of creation. In John 1, 1, it says, and in Genesis 1, the first act of creation. God creates out of nothing, meaning out of love and according to God's free, free choosing. So they use a Latin term. It's, t it's, a, it's a ex nihilo, ex nihilo, out of nothing. But it's not, it's not, they're not trying to make this scientific statement that sometimes people end up arguing about that there was nothing there. This is not a question that Hebrew people ever worry about. Like what was there before? before? They, don't, they don't worry about that. It's not a question they ask. But it's an, it's, they, they use the term ex nihilo, out of nothing, to mean that God did this, the creator did it out of the creator's free will, and the creator did it out of love. That's what ex nihilo is trying to capture. God creates out of nothing, out of love. According to God's free choosing, he creates. 
And it says you can see God's attributes in creation. We read that. Indigenous people saw these attributes. Most people in all the world's faith see all these attributes. You acknowledge that in Christian theology, but you call it general revelation. God's revelation to all people at all times. And God's revelation to all people at all times is God's revelation. It's not some revelation that creation decides to do it or that people invent in their own mind. This, this comes from God. And it's an essential part of salvation too. It's an essential part of salvation too. And then the incarnation is the second act of creation. Jesus takes a body, born not of the will of a man, but through the cooperation of a woman, born of the will of God, out of love. John 3.16, by God's free choice, the word became flesh. God so loved the world that he gave his son, the second act of creation. And Christ takes a body, not of the will of a man, but because of God's will. Free choice. And now the invisible attributes of God are now visible in Jesus Christ. And Paul's echoing this when he says, he says, they should have known, seen these invisible attributes, yes, the world at large, but also seen Jesus Christ. They should have known. They should have known. But they did not. They did not. Jesus, the Word, is the most complete revelation of God. He's the Word that has gone out from the Creator that fills the earth and has made all things, and he continues to echo with true spirituality and power, not with mere human words. The idea of spirituality and power in the Cree language, they use sometimes gitse, gitsmantu, which some people translate great spirit, but that's actually a poor translation. My daughter Catherine, who's sitting there, would say, great mystery is a better translation. The great mystery. Something big. Gitse. But what true spirituality is, how one lives. Not the, it, you can talk all you want, but it's how you live. That's what matters. That's, how, that's what matters. And this word, the word spoken by the Father, takes flesh, takes flesh. Sorry, got carried away there. So God, Jesus came to a world that had, had been created through him, but the world was broken. So, and how easily we see that brokenness today in the terrible legacy of the Indian Act and residential schools, but also in war, poverty, famine, this surrounds us, and even in our own lives, full of our struggles. And yet we have hope because his coming showed that the world could be recreated. So through Jesus, the word, we can be adopted and recreated to be the children of God and become who God created us to be. Those who believe will mount up on wings like eagles. And when Indigenous people heard or hear this, they respond because they see the same law in creation now made flesh in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, creator and creation come into perfect harmony. Jesus, the word, 
through whom all things came into being, now comes in the flesh, creator and creation in perfect harmony. And we have beheld his glory that shines in the midst of the difficulties that we face and gives us hope. Even as we continue to face the tough things all around us, he doesn't fix it all. The glory of his grace upon grace has been made known by the second act of creation in the word becoming flesh. And when we embrace Christ, we are joining in the ongoing work of creation and recreation. We rejoice and we proclaim and practice this gospel, which has created the world and now refills the whole world. Jesus, the word, became flesh. He continues to go into the whole world to recreate and heal by bringing grace. It is a good world. And we seek to join creator as creation continues to be remade and transformed, including us, to be who we were created to be. And this is the gospel that has been from the very beginning. Point three, indigenous people continue to strive for harmonious relationship or reconciliation because of the revelation of the Holy Spirit in creation. Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Our being filled with the Spirit, because it was Pentecost Sunday a couple Sundays ago, our being filled with the Spirit ought to be good or will be good for creation. In fact, Mother Earth groans waiting for us to be fully revealed so that she, has no long, so that she will no longer be subjected to the cursing brought about when we live without the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 says. It says that creation groans like a woman. That's why I call her Mother Earth like a woman in childbirth. It's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who continues to hover over the earth. Genesis 1-2 says that the Spirit, or the wind of God, was over the waters, tohu vohu, over the chaos and the darkness. The Spirit fills us with the same love that flows from the Trinity, the love that we see between Jesus and the Father, the Spirit puts in us. This love lifts us so that we can call Abba Father, for we are the children of the Creator. When this is occurring, the earth rejoices in our being remade to be who we were created to be. It begins now with the confirmation of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this love is the Spirit of God poured into our hearts. Recreation continues on as we move into this spirit, become indigenous or true human being, the spirit fills us and we are dealt with the spirit of Christ, animated to be who we were made to be. We are each so unique. We're not made to be exactly alike. To put God's image into a box that dictates who or what is godly is a really dangerous place to go. God's revelation is not limited, nor can it be predicted. 
So for some, a solemn place of worship that involves liturgy and smoke is a reflection of God's creation in them. And for others, bright colors and drums will fill the room as they reflect God's image. And God is all good things, bright colors, heartbeats, whispers, smoke. So how can we judge if one truly knows God when they themselves are a reflection of them? And as we walk with the Spirit, we recognize Christ in us, and we are then able to recognize what is good. We are then able to better reflect God's intention for his creation. Yet we know that no one on earth will be fully revealed until the coming of Christ, for only he knows us fully, both as we are now and as we will be. So we cannot look at an indigenous person or a refugee or someone who's homosexual or trans or straight, someone with a mental disability, someone with a someone who's a child, someone who's a senior, we can't look at them and say, you are not of God, because they themselves reflect God. Indigenous people recognized Christ in creation, that Christ is fulfilling the creative work of the Trinity, the creator, the creation coming together in perfect harmony in the person of Christ. This is the goal. This is reconciliation. I think sometimes in the younger evangelical churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance and all y'all's church here, you know, that flows out of the holiness movement, out of the, out of the younger evangelical churches. Because we were concerned that people hear the gospel, receive Jesus Christ, and become transformed. But I think sometimes we forgot the goal is reconciliation. That's what salvation is. Salvation is bringing all things together, creator and creation in perfect harmony. Indigenous people saw that. It was in their law. That's why the elders continue to tell us, no matter what happens, you continue to push for reconciliation. That's why the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it was paid for by the survivors of the residential schools. It was called for by the survivors of the residential schools. That's why in 1995, Elijah Harper, after the killing of Dudley George in Ipperwash by the Ontario police, an unarmed man, an unarmed indigenous man, they were there protesting in Ipperwash because Canadian government had wrongfully taken, had taken their land and promised to give it back, and they didn't give it back. And they compounded the sin by killing Dudley George. And in the light of that, Elijah Harper called for a sacred assembly. And we met in Ottawa, in Al Quebec, in December 1995. And we were seeking a spiritual solution to the racial enmity that existed in Canada. But I always remember it was First Nations who called for that. It was First Nations who called for that. And when the Canadian government apologized, it was First Nations who went across Canada saying, we should forgive Canada. We should forgive Canada. Because our law tells us that. When we look at creation, we see the harmony that exists around us. 
And we see ourselves sometimes broken, not able to live into that harmony. And so we ask for the Creator to come and help us. Creation recognizes that Christ is the key to making this happen. Indigenous people recognize this. Do you recognize this? Do you recognize this? Jenny's going to sing a song for me now. I'm used to this. He used to do this to me when I was a kid. And Jenny's going to come up and sing. At least he told me beforehand this time. Uh, um, so this is a morning song, as in good morning, not sad. Um, so uh, this, this song is a Cree song that welcomes the day. Uh, the translation is on the screen. Pay me an agua, que tosquen agua. 